listening to a Living Word Family Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about Living Word Family Church, make sure to check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Living Word Family podcast. We've got uh, Matt Kreider, our youth director and tech guy for Living Word. Hey, everybody. And with us, as always, in the studio is Zach of All Trades, behind the board. And once again, our very special guest, Dr. Thomas, continuing to talk about Martin Luther and the Reformation. And we wanted to spend some time, and I'm really going to give him the microphone, try to interrupt as little as possible, talking about Luther himself and his spiritual journey, uh, rather than focusing just on particular events and, uh, and, and uh, historical uh, punctuations, I guess. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about Luther the Man. Well, as I mentioned before, uh, Luther was really at the center of medieval spirituality. This, this is, this is. If you were serious about your faith, you went the monastic route, and and so that's what he did because uh, he he had had this this uh, great moment. Uh, he was he was actually studying to be a lawyer. Uh, his dad was an uh, up and coming, a rising uh, miner owner owner of a mining company. So they, they were kind of a classic uh, historically peasant family that by the time Luther comes along have, have risen financially, his dad had, which then allows him uh, to get an education, a really good education that his dad's able to afford. And so he'd been, he was trained to be a lawyer to help his dad in the business. And he's uh, fam- famously um, go, uh, returning and it's it's in the evening time, it's nighttime, and this incredible thunderstorm comes along, and he's out, exposed, nowhere to hide, and the lightning is just so intense around him that he calls out to St. Anne, which is the patron saint of that particular mining family and mining group. And he says, if you get me out of this, I'll join the monastery. And uh, he gets out of it. And true to his word, uh, he does. Wow. Makes his dad absolutely, you know, as angry as you can possibly imagine. And, in fact, it takes years for them uh, to rec- uh, reconcile. Uh, but uh, he goes to the monastery, and, and le- like I said in the last episode, he, when, once he does something, he throws his whole heart into it. And, and that's what he does at, uh, at the mo- monastery. And so— if you're supposed to fast, he fasts excessively. If you're supposed to buffet the body, right, uh, he goes without a blanket at night. Um, anything that you can possibly imagine to, to humble the flesh. And this was important because in the monastic spirituality, a, a part of the spirituality was how, how do you become holy was right you you have to have victory over sin and so there'd been all these sort of mechanisms uh, some some of them biblical but usually all taken to extreme uh to try to uh break down the flesh so that it would be less receptive to temptation which makes sense right i mean right. if you're if you're on a very you know low diet of food or or fasting excessively that's going to take a lot of your energy away right and uh, anyway, he does everything to the extreme, uh, and, and he ends up having a very wise spiritual director by the name of 
Johann von Stoppitz. Okay, one of my students once said that um, what a, what an apropos name because he must have been saying to Luther all the time, Stoppitz. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I like that. Can I use that? <laughs> and. Uh, uh, and, and so uh, he would go to confession with his spiritual director and confess for hours. I, I just can't imagine how exhausting this must have been for a spiritual director. And, and again, famously, the story goes, you know, that sometimes he would leave the confessional booth, would start to walk away, and would start to feel good that he'd really just cleansed his soul and, and really confessed everything. And he would get a sense of pride and would have to turn around and go right back <laughs> to the confessional. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> his father wow. confessor um, realizes he's not going to find the peace that he's looking for in the monastic life. And so encourages him to go on in his education and, bec- and to read and study the scripture. So this is important to note with all the, with all the, faults of medieval Christianity, there are people who love the scripture. Right. Okay. Never forget that our reformers were all reared in the medieval church. Okay. So we don't want to just, you know, get rid of, uh, you know, be completely negative on that. That was the church. I believe, I believe that was the authentic church, even with all its inauthenticity. So, uh, so Luther does, he goes on and studies the scripture, becomes a professor of the Bible and then there's a new university that Frederick the Wise has just founded called uh, the University of Wittenberg. And, and so this is a jewel in the cap of Frederick, okay? All, all, all these princes are in competition with each other. And, and this is a time where we start to see the proliferation of, I mean, it's, it's slow here. It, it, it's revved up with the, with the Reformation, but more universities than just Oxford, Cambridge, and Paris. And, and so he is hired on to be the professor of Bible. And it becomes obvious really quickly that this guy's gifted, that he's a, he's a gifted teacher. Students love him. And you can just imagine, right? Who doesn't love a teacher who's passionate, right? I mean, that's the key, right, to any communication is you really love what you're doing. Yeah. And he loved the Scripture. And it's in, in his teaching of the Scripture that he starts to uh, recognize that there are some very central scriptural teachings that somehow have been kind of left along the way, along the wayside. And um, he ends up teaching on the Psalms. So that's, that's common. The Psalms is kind of the book of the church in the monastic life, right? You would sing through the Psalms every week. That's not a bad spiritual discipline for us today, right? Right. Uh, but he also ends up teaching on Romans, Galatians, right? Th- these become core Reformation books of, of the Protestant movement, right? Because yeah. they, they, maybe more so than other books, just speak in a very central way to this idea of God's justification of us <laughs> through our faith. Romans 1, 17, uh, Luther uh, comes upon that verse— and um, he, he struggles with it in the beginning because he feels like <clears throat> to, be, to, uh, to be justified, uh, it's something that he has to do, okay? And, and so there's actually 
a theological trend that that had arisen about a century before that Luther had been exposed to. And um, kind of the main tenet was that part of your salvation path was for you to do your best. And the idea was God had promised that if you did your best, then he would come and meet you. Okay? Notice mm-hmm. where the first action is, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the human doing their best. And so Luther, he inculcated that deeply, and that's why he's doing all these things in the monastic life, right? Well, he was trying to do his best. And he kept coming up short, right? Because he realized the question that everybody has, right? If that's your starting point, you know, the question is, well, did I do my best? Right? And probably all of us here can say, there may be nothing we do where we really do in our own minds our best, right? We, you always think, I'll just speak for myself, I could have done a little bit more. Right. Right? I could have done a little bit more. And that's where he ends up. And, and so when he gets to Romans 1.17, which talks about being justified by faith, uh, he, he tells us about near the end of his life, he gives a, a, an accounting of that moment. And, and he talks about how he realized that it wasn't through what he did. It was through just believing in what God had done for him, for us, that that's what Romans 117 was saying, that you are justified by Christ's work by just believing what Christ had done for you. Faith. Faith. Yeah. And he uses the phrase... And he, when he's recounting this at the end of his life, he says, it's as if I was born again in the paradise. Okay. Wow. Wow. And so it was because it was, it was a radical transformation of, of first his understanding of, of what the, the Christian teaching was. But secondly, it was this personal existential transformation. He went from, a lost soul struggling to figure out how to please God. In fact, he says, he goes, I hated God because why had God created us to do something we can't do? Uh, and, and so <laughs> every one of his relationships are transformed. Wow. And it is. It is like we would say today, right? He was. He truly was born again in, wow. in every single way that you can possibly think about that word. And, wow. And, and so... Uh, that is behind then his pastoral ministry that um, gets him uh, to the 95 theses, okay, and, and kind of the working working out on that. But Luther's a very fascinating wow. figure. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. Wow, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, here's a, one historical question and one personal opinion question. What exactly... Or generally, did Luther have to say about the papacy, the office of the Pope? He wasn't, at least not initially, anti-Pope, was he? Didn't he recognize the office, but just maybe question the extent to which uh, the Pope should exercise authority? He wasn't out to dethrone the Pope, as it were. No, in fact, if uh, you read one of his first tracts in 1520 um, called The Freedom of the Christian, which I would highly recommend you can get it online, and, and it'll walk you through what he understands 
the meaning of justification by faith. And then the second part is uh, of this great work is um, now that you're justified, go and do the work. Okay. Yeah. So it's not this, I'm justified. Wow. I don't have to do anything ever again. You know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm a okay. I can live any way I want. He's like, Oh no, 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 <laughs> yeah. You're justified to do kingdom work. Okay. Yeah. And it, and, and so it's just a, it's a wonderful thing. But I bring that up because at the beginning of it, of this pamphlet, he sends it to the Pope and he speaks in the most uh, honoring and glowing ways about uh, the Pope. In fact, even goes so far to say, he goes, I know that the problem is those who are around you, they're misleading you. The problem is not with you, it's with what you're being told. Which, of course, wow. wasn't true. Right. But giving him an out. He's yeah. given him an out and maybe really believed it. I mean, we really yeah. don't know. Right. You know, I mean, think about it. I mean, he's just a little professor from Wittenberg. Right. And, yeah. and, and this day, you know, the, the upper parts of Germany, you know, I mean, would be like if somebody said they're from northern Canada, you know, uh, or some remote place, right? It's yeah. like, well, where's that? You know, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, who, who are you to, you know, there's no, uh, you know, any sort of authority <laughs> or, uh, and, you know, and the Germans were looked down upon, you know, by the southern Europeans who, you know, viewed themselves as much more sophisticated. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, so the other question I had, you really, uh, of course, you talk about passion being the key to communicating. You can really pick up on the passion you have for your subject here. If somebody, if a listener wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the life of Luther, I read something just recently that said Luther had probably been written about more than any figure except Jesus Christ. I've heard same thing said about Abraham Lincoln, but here you got these two towering historical figures. Can't read everything. Not all of us can anyway. Could you recommend a couple of good sources, good biographies or movies or anything that would uh, give a uh, an interesting and accurate a picture of his life. Yeah, there was a really good movie maybe 15 years ago. Uh, has uh, Joseph Fiennes in it, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, just called Luther. It's called yes. Luther. Okay. Yeah, he plays Luther, does a, does a very nice job. It was, uh, it, it was deeply uh, financed by Lutherans, and, and so they were oh. really careful to want to make this as authentic right. as possible. Um, that, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. And um, uh, probably Ronald uh, Bainton, B-A-I-N-T-O-N. It's an o- older biography, but it's a, it's a good biography on Luther. But you're right. I mean, there's just so many that you can choose from. Uh, I, I was actually, <clears throat> speaking of Lincoln, I was in D.C. two weekends ago and um, went to Ford's Theater where he was shot. Yeah. His, you know, his, that's still there. Yeah. And then I went across the street, which is where he was taken, right. uh, and he died ultimately in this house, and they turned it into a museum. And uh, in this museum, uh, eventually you end up at the top, and, and then you take stairs, I, th- I think maybe three floors. It is, yeah. Is it? Yeah. And, and, and they have books published about Lincoln around this central core of the stairwell going down. From the first floor all the way up to where you start, <laughs> and it is amazing. Wow! And and no doubt you could do the same thing with with Luther with scholarship. Luther. Yeah, 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 yeah. Luther's, I mean, he he's revolutionary in so many ways. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about justification by faith alone, but uh, almost equally important was um, 
another doctrine that he believed was scripturally based called the priesthood of all believers, which uh, was essentially a clarion call to all Christians that all of us are called to do the work of God, not just pastors, right? Right. And, uh, and that everybody has access to God, that you don't have to go through a priest or a pastor, right? I mean, a pastor can help you, obviously, is there to, to help you, help you grow and nurture you. But, but you don't have to technically, you know, go through a pastor to get to God. And this priesthood of all believers is quite revolutionary because uh, all, all of a sudden within Protestant lands, um, everybody's called to do the work. And, and I like to say that Luther, you know, discovered the biblical doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, but it's not until you get to the evangelical awakening, John Wesley, George Whitfield, these sorts of individuals, that you start to see the playing out of that doctrine. And all of a sudden in the evangelical awakening, people really take that to heart and, and become uh, conduits of God's grace, you know, to different people in multitudes of ways, whether it's helping the poor, sharing the gospel, building a country, you know, it's, it's all founded on this idea that God has called us to work and work for the kingdom. And that really all our work if we think about it the right way, is working for God's kingdom, right? And we kind of get a glimpse of that in Revelation 21, 22, right? Where we see the new city coming down to Jerusalem. It's, it's a city. Yeah. And you see that we've been co-creators with God to help wow. make that city. So, you know, this is a really key idea because it takes the burden of church work out of solely the hands of of the pastors the leaders of the church mm -hmm. and it's to be for everyone I, I was i was talked to different audiences recently and uh, about about the reformation and they always say well is there like one takeaway you know one takeaway and and like i know these churches i'm talking to i grew up in them okay <laughs> and and my you know and i always say the same thing to them um priesthood of all believers you are to be doing the work of the kingdom. Yeah. You don't hire a professional priestly class. If you do that, we're just back to the medieval church. Right on. Right. You know, we've seen this movie before. You know, <laughs> God wants everybody involved with that. Right. Right. I think there's a, it would be interesting to see you draw a line from Martin Luther. When you, when you take the idea of the priesthood of all believers, that's, that's not a purely egalitarian concept, but there's an, equal, uh, uh, an equalizing nature to that. And then down through the, um, the, you know, the evangelical uh, movement, stressing that through Lincoln, uh, in, in the more the civil side of things, who, uh, uh, where I'm getting to eventually is from Martin Luther to Martin Luther King. And I know you've got a great, a deep interest in civil rights. I'm not asking you to do that now, but I'm sure that the connection, there is a line that goes more or less straight through those things. Wouldn't you agree that there is a, uh, certainly a theological undercurrent? Maybe, maybe, um, I don't know. I, I would, I would have to, uh, I'm kind of thinking out loud here. I got to say it one more. It's, this is uh, this is the moment we say where we got to edit it and post. Right? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe Lincoln would be the least theological link in that chain. Or, or would you disagree? Um, I would say uh, that the United States itself is just a great example of this doctrine 
sort of bearing its fullest fruit. And, and um, you, I mean, you know, part of the DNA of the United States is that, that everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a part to play. And um, you, you see that, you know, in, in our churches, you know, our churches are, are more egalitarian than if you go over to Europe or even other places around the world. You know, yeah. there's, I, I think in the United States, we have uh, drunk deeply of this idea that we're all priests and we're all meant to be out doing the work. And, and that work may be what we think of as more traditional Christian work, or it may be, you know, uh, helping to uh, build an orphanage, or it may be trying to build just like a really good business that hires people, gives them a salary so they can take care of their families and, and done in an honorable way. Right. And, and in ways that, that uh, are possible lifting up Christ in in those situations, you know? So I think um, the United States has has very much uh, been, been part of that. And, uh, you know, Lincoln is a, such a great example um, in terms of, uh, you know, if you read his writings or his speeches, um, there, there's just no doubt his cadence, his allusions are so biblically based. And I know there's a lot of controversy. Well, you know, where, where, was, where, did Link, where was Lincoln at personally? Right. Uh, that, that may be at the end of the day an unanswerable question. Uh, what we can answer is that the Bible lived through him, and you see it coming out in his writings, his speeches, his perspective. And, you know, I mean, one of my favorite ones by him, and there are so many favorite ones, right, is, uh, is uh, where, you know, the North and the South are both, you know, trying to pray to God for him to be on their, their side, side, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, 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 we need to be on God's, God's side. side. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's just such, you know, that, that's, that's, that's profound thinking. Cause it that's, is. that's out of the ordinary. Most people think God's on my side. Right. right? I mean, that's yeah. where we naturally go to as a, as human beings. And, uh, and so I think, I think you see that, uh, uh, with, with him and it's, it's too bad that he was, assassinated because with all these cases, right, it would have been right. great to, to see, uh, you know, what's his post presidency look like? Right. Uh, right. How does he yeah. develop as a human being? You know, do we hear more about his spiritual side once he gets out of the political limelight? You know I mean? He's yeah. Like, we never know. Yeah. Wow. So got a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I just say one last thing. Um, about uh, uh, Luther, um, you know, he he ended up getting married. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. And uh, very apropos to a nun, or I should say an (laughs) (laughs) ex-nun, who, I mean, one of the things you see with the Reformation uh, is these uh, monasteries and convents, they they literally empty out. Because these, these are folks who are, remember, are in the central spiritual part of, of the, the teachings of the medieval church, right? They're, they're, they're at the, the, uh, the, the, the point of the arrow, right? They are leading the charge, and they're the ones that know best how unfulfilling it is, that spirituality. Wow. So Luther's yeah. <laughs> rediscovery of the, script, of the, of the gospel uh, speaks to them. 
in probably the most profound ways because they most most feel it and and so um he literally uh starts to try to match up nuns with monks <laughs> because uh luther uh, again is going to put uh this is another one of these social revolutions he's he's going to put the family now at the center of society yeah okay uh before you you married just because you couldn't control your lust. That was the main thinking behind marriage, right? You know, because if you're really serious about your faith, you become a monk or right, you become a right. nun. But you know what? If you're a weakling, uh, you you get married. <laughs> there was not a high view of of marriage. Wow. And and so uh, Luther re uh, positions the family as something that's a positive, not a negative, right? Yeah. That was a negative understanding of, of the work of marriage. He says, no, marriage is to be uh, one of the central features of the faith. If you are given the gift of celibacy, he talked very explicitly about this. If you have the gift of celibacy, if God's called you that way, fantastic. Go that direction. But just because you don't have that gift doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian. Because right. right. the family has been created by God as as a central part of our faith, and it's a little church unto itself, okay? And so he he very quickly starts trying to match up these monks with these nuns, you yeah. know? And at the end of the day, Catherine von Bora, who, who, is, who becomes his wife, um, I mean, you can see it. Like, she has her eyes on him. <laughs> and, uh, and she's kind of a leader in her own right amongst the nuns. And really capable person. In fact, after they're married, what she brings to the marriage is, is profound. Um, but at the end of the day, she's left, and I think intentionally so on her part. And, and, and there's this sort of this, this obvious conclusion to what's been going on, right? Monk, nun, monk, nun, monk, nun. Only one monk left, only one <laughs> nun left, right? They get married. And... Um, uh, he, I mean, everything that we have to, to read shows how much, how happy that marriage was. Wow. Luther loved his wife, loved his family. You know, like I said, if, boy, if, you, if, he, if you're aligned with him, I, I can't imagine a better guy to be hanging out with. And, and so you see this beautiful marriage. And, uh, and that's great because I love, I love to see that because so often in history, and this could be another podcast— you, right. you have really f- excellent Christians yeah. who just struggle in their marriages. Yeah, that's not Luther. Luther and Catherine have a great marriage, and this is my favorite part. And I'll close with this: uh, Frederick the Wise uh, gives them the old monastery as their home. Wow! Huh. And what do they do with it? Well, a monastery is a good sized structure, right? Yeah. It be- it becomes a boarding house for them, and he puts up students. And, and others who have come to learn about the Reformation. So it becomes this sort of wow. quasi little community. And now we have something called Luther's Table Talk. And what it is, is at dinner, Luther and the guests of the monastery, their new home, they would all get together. And t- the Table Talk are these um, rem- uh, uh, remembrances of, of these different students and people who dined with Luther in the monastery Wow, and so so it became a shining example, and and 
right? Now we know, right? We start thinking about the history of Western society. Unfortunately, until our own day, uh, the family has always been at the center of it. And I think that's another one of those pieces that allowed, you know, for that part of the world and the and the church in that part of the world to achieve really great things. And and so all of this happens within about a forty year period. Wow. wow. And it's what we call the Reformation. Wow. Incredible. Wow. Amazing story. And what a great job you've done of encapsulating all that. I know it's an awful lot of information uh, that got compressed there and some details that got left out. It's it's, it's my hope and my prayer that uh, people out there listening have have gotten their imagination stirred and their appetite whetted uh, to dig deeper into this because that's where we have roots. We all have roots that go back to this. And there's this, the more we understand, the more we appreciate. Uh, Joe, Thank you again very much yes, for coming yes, out thank here. Thank you so much. Giving us your time and your expertise thank and you. sharing with us. This has been a, a rich series of podcasts. Uh, and let's do, even if we're done with Luther for now, let's have you back sometime in the near future and talk about some other things that are near and dear to your heart. Be yeah, my pleasure. Right on. All I right. just want to remind our listeners, you can pick up Dr. Joe Thomas's book, Perfect Harmony, uh, at a bookstore near you, if there's any left, or possibly online. Amazon's uh, probably, Amazon, the, way probably the best way to go. Uh, but thank you for listening, being here with us. And uh, Dr. Joe Thomas, thank you again for being here, and we'll see you guys next time.